Oh, the day is red and the fish is dead. Uh, oh, where did it go from there? Ah. The eager <laughs> and the dust finally settles on a bed full of nettles. Yeah, there you go. Bravo! <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Don't forget to tip your wait staff. That was great. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye by Saturday night. Welcome to yet another uh, Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the podcast that guarantees if you listen, you don't have to listen to other stuff. Well, you could, but you technically don't have to. It's episode 435, and we're looking forward with great anticipation to anticipating, because that's why they call it a podcast. On board tonight, uh, unless it's daytime, which at that case it's on board today sitting in at the sci-fi saturday night gaming console and help desk our own button pushing keyboard clacking sonic screwdriver a mute audio virtuoso kriana and as usual she will remain mute please also welcome cyborg university's preeminent reference librarian currently contracted at the glitter palace she loves dr pepper cotton candy bites enjoys opening boxes repeatedly and adores renovated kitchens with all new appliances. It's our wonderful friend, Zombra. And how are you doing, my dear? The Glitter Palace is closed, and I'm just kind of... I did all my remote work, and now I'm bored. Yes. Yeah, I shouldn't say that, though. Something dramatic is going to happen. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> I'll probably put in, like, a, a, a sound effect there or something. Please I should do. do that, shouldn't I? Yeah, I should. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know the Glitter Palace is closed, and but we hope for the best and, and pray for the rest, and uh, whatever happens, we'll deal with it when it happens. Uh, well, Kriana won't let me keep, keep glitter in the house, so I don't even have any here. Very upsetting. I think that your craft room should be an inviolate space where you can do whatever you need to do. It's just my opinion. Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) And the mute shall speak. I'm an addict. I heard that yell from outside my headphones. Wow. (laughs) I guess we did wake the sleeping beast, that did we the not? Of the craft world, okay? <laughs> Finally, major minor to Colonel Colonel, the man who pays 35 cents for dime novels and thinks that 
Light sticks are demonic. It's Captain Cam. How you doing, my friend? Well, I've taken my protein pills, and if I once I've got my helmet on, I think I'm ready for today's book. Yeah, well, pretty soon Major Tom will also be joining us, which is going to make it even stranger. Me, I'm just the freshwater fish in a saltwater tank. They call me the Dome. Tonight, we get to talk to an author, and I'm not sure how he found us or we found him. Uh, but I got this cool little note with a couple of books that says, thanks for reading the book in advance. So I guess, you know, I was, he, he was hoping for some good stuff. He's probably going to get some of that tonight. Our guest is the creator and writer of the Starhawk Chronicle series, Joseph Madden. Joseph, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you, Dom. Pleasure to be here. That's a pleasure to be anywhere right now. Let's be serious. That's true. <laughs> we're doing the best we can under the circumstances we were given. And we're going to continue doing that. Let's talk about the Starhawk Chronicles, which the two books are, I believe, six years apart, five years apart, in terms of being written. Well, it was, they're actually only about two years apart, but I originally started out self-published. Then I found the publishing company. I was with them for about a year and a half, and then they decided to close. So then I went back to self-publishing. So it's just been, you know, they've been published, they've been unpublished, they've been published again, and hopefully they're going to stay there now. Well, there you go. Yeah, no. Um, so what? what, before we get into the books themselves, Self-publishing is difficult enough. Even more difficult than that, uh, for 95% of the writers, is finding a publisher to work with that will work with them. And then, for whatever reason, that falls apart. So how did that affect your writing as, as all this was going on? Uh, I wouldn't really say it affected it. Uh, I just kept pretty much pushing forward. Uh, I'm currently working on the third book of the Starhawk Chronicles and also a spinoff for one of the characters. And I've also got numerous other books that will kind of tie into the Starhawk Chronicles universe but not be directly affected. One of the things that I did notice is that there are a number of uh, novellas that are available, uh, I believe, only on EPUB right now that are within that Starhawk universe. That's yes, I have there's two um two short stories that are kind of prequels to to the first book uh, and I'm working on a couple others. Um, but right now I'm really trying to focus on the third book of Starhawk Chronicles and the, and the spin-off. So some of the other short stories I'll just have to wait for a while. So here here's here's where I am. Um I hate when people feel the need to pigeonhole a book. I mean, for years, Kurt Vonnegut said, hey, I'm not science fiction. Stop putting me there in the bookstores. And nobody listened to him. And as it became a more stratified uh, format, uh, well... You only write demonic fiction. You write uh, uh, 
urban paranormal romance. And can we get any narrower if possible? So <laughs> I, I sat down and, and I tried to think about, you know, where people could pigeonhole this if they did, which they shouldn't. And I'm going to tell you why they shouldn't in a minute. But I came up with stuff like uh, Space Cowboy. That used to be a big deal, and then it wasn't for a while, and now it's starting to make a comeback, and it's always a format that I've liked a lot. The other one was uh, 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 Space Opera. And this kind of, this book, this series, this universe has all the makings of something that needs to make a great comeback, which is a space opera. Where do you think it fits? A space opera, definitely. Um, the space cowboy elements on it are just happen to be incidental. Uh, I grew up, my, my mother was a big Western fan, so I grew up on John Wayne and stuff like that. And then gotcha. as, I, as I grew older, uh, you know, movies Silverado and Tombstone came out and I recently, in the last oh, 10 years or so, got very into uh, Louis L'Amour. So I think he's having a bit of an influence on it. And that's a genre of books that never, never interested me in the least. And I don't know why. But as I'm reading this, I'm reminded of an old Heinlein book from his early years called Citizen of the Galaxy. I do not know that one. And Citizen of the Galaxy is a story of one uh, of the the kind of secret government that works throughout a very corrupt galaxy to try and save it from itself. Uh, a wonderful book, uh, and, and and this kind of book, this this style of book. Uh, feeds me in that same way. It has that same feeling to it. So my first question is, where did you come up with the Starhawk universe? Uh, I can actually blame that. I, I, I even have an exact date, April 19th, 1987. <laughs> it, was, it was Easter Sunday, and my dad and I, over spring break, we were at Disneyland. And we had gone... We had just gone to see the, the Michael Jackson 3D film, Captain EO. And, and that just blew me away. And so we were waiting in line for another ride later on. And while I'm waiting in line, this, I, just, I fell in love with the whole space misfit do-gooder kind of theme. And I started formulating my own stories. And the Starhawk, the crew of the Starhawk actually started out as a group of uh, space pirates. And um, Okay, that kind of makes sense, yeah. They started out as space pirates, and after an incident, they end up on modern-day Earth. And because the, the ship is disabled, so they have to repair it. And in the course, they befriend a young resident local uh, who ends up stowing away with them when they do leave. And that starts a whole kerfuffle. And I got, I actually wrote in high school, I did about 150 page story treatment on that. 
and I kept trying to develop it that way, develop it, develop it. And uh, it was about in my mid twenties when I realized the it was a little too, little too hokey. So I started reformatting, and I decided to make the you know they were like the bad guys gone good. So I just now I just made them decide to go with the bounty hunter theme because I've always been big on you know Boba Fett was huge when I was a kid, and. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there was a Steve McQueen film called The Hunter, where he played a, a bounty hunter. And so the whole bounty hunter motif just kind of struck me, and it seemed to to work better for this crew. So in putting this universe together, uh, which existed in, in your own head for a number of years... Um, where did these characters come from? Uh, well, the main character, Jesse, has always been, there's always been a little bit of me in there. Uh, I think every author probably, you know, their main character reflects on their personality. Uh, there's also a little bit of Kurt Russell in there. I've always been a big fan of his. And uh, But for the other characters... You know, they, I just pulled them out of the ether for the most part. You know, I knew with Katron, that's the older character. Um, I knew Jesse was going to need a mentor, a father figure, kind of. So that's where he came from. And the others, like I said, you know, the, uh, Stuart Freeborn, who used to do the makeup for the first Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He said that most of his ideas came to him in dreams, in which case afterwards uh, they started showing up in other people's nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's where a lot of my characters come from. So. so when you're when you're when you're creating an entire galaxy the thing that can constantly trip up a writer is lack of consistency. And I got to be honest with you in reading the first book, I don't see that at all. You, you, when you, when you plugged somebody in uh, to a race and described the race uh, that stayed in and it, it, it grew throughout the book. How, what format do you use to do that from a purely technical standpoint? Oh, most of it I'm able to just pretty much keep track of in my head. Uh, I do keep some notes, um, but mostly um, just lucky, I guess. I do have to refer back sometimes because there will be such, such gaps between my writing sometimes where I'll have like weeks or a month or I just have to put it off and come back to it. So then I have to look back. But I've been with these characters for 20 plus years. So I get to know them pretty good. A lot of times an author will say, um, as, as you did, this character has been with me for 15 or 20 years. I know him well. Um, there are other authors who say, I sit down and the character tells me what it is he wants me to write about. 
you know, I, I, I have very little to do with the creative process. It all comes from the characters moving together. I know where we start. I know where we want to go. I know where we want to end. And they tell me how to get there. Right. Is that how it kind of works with you? It does. Um, the, the one character in there that I can say is a total rogue uh, and pretty much writes her own part is Kayla Carson. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. She she has been um, yeah she she is very much the rogue and does things that I don't realize until I've actually put them on paper that it was all her things I she'll mean, come up with, things she'll say or just actions she do she does that's completely not planned they they pretty much as I said comes out of the ether. That's and that's hilarious. pretty much why she's she's a joy to write. And it's actually when I say I'm writing a spinoff, it is a spinoff for her character. I was going to ask, but I was going to wait to ask that. Good. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Read. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really funny that her placement within the first book is so... It's like those... Sometimes those things you see in the periphery of your vision that you're not really sure are there, and then you turn and then they're gone. Right. And I see her that way a lot throughout the first half of the book. Yeah, she she's the one who keeps me on my toes. Most of the others, the rest of the crew, I've just had their them so set in my mind for so long that I just know. And Kayla's actually the newcomer to the story, so it's, uh, yeah, she keeps me on my toes. Was she there? Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying that she's a hell of a lot of fun to write. Was she there from the beginning? Or was she, you needed someone there and she just kind of magically appeared? Well, see, in my first iteration of the whole bounty hunter thing was instead of it being set in the future in distant space, the Starhawk actually pursues their quarry to modern day Earth. Right. And... The character of Kayla was just, um, they actually ended up saving her. She got attacked by the, the bad guys, and they ended up saving her, and she ended up palling around with them. But the problem with that was, I, I love old 50s science fiction movies, but the one thing that annoys me the most is with, most of the times with the quote-unquote heroine is she's pretty much there for the monster to attack. She screams, runs away, and has to be rescued. Yep, or faints and has that. to be picked up and run away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and that's exactly what the character was becoming, which was a complete antithesis to what I, I like. I mean, I grew up on Princess Leia and Sarah Connor and Ellen Ripley, all these strong, kick-ass female characters and the character was not becoming that. She was becoming a wimp. And so I knew I needed to change change her to keep her interesting because she really was just the heroine who needed saving. So then when I, I brought them more into the future and I decided she Jesse needed somebody to keep him on his toes. Because Does a damn good job of that. Because <laughs> at the at the one point in the story, he's almost like Mel Gibson's character in the first Lethal Weapon. He just he doesn't give a crap. He's 
bordering on suicidal. And Kayla comes in and kind of snaps him out of that. So my guess is book one, which is aptly titled The Starhawk Chronicles, went through a series of like major, 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 major rewrites over the years. Definitely, definitely did. Um, how did you do that? Um, do, you, do you write it, then read it and go, ah, I need to change this? And then piece by piece, is it, do you finish it up, put it away, put it aside for a month, then look at it again? That's basically, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll know at a certain point where something's just not working and I have to, I just have to drop it and start fresh, which is actually something that's happened with, um, as I'm working on the third book, I had an idea for the third book and in my head, it worked out. It seemed to work out great. But now as I'm trying to get it on paper, then all of a sudden these, these plot holes start forming and some of them got pretty huge. And then I, I finally just last week decided I have to drop that idea for that story, at least for the time being. So, but the story that I have set up for the fourth book, I'm moving forward because that is pretty much all complete in my head. And um, I may come back to the original idea for the third book, but for right now it's it's shelved and on life support. <laughs> As you're putting this kind of stuff together, um, Cam and I were talking about uh, the aliens earlier. Yeah, it's it, and I'm always interested because uh, my sister is an artist, and she does some amazingly creative science fiction work, and she has multiple different ways of creating these creatures. Like one of the late, her latest pieces is this bug with this gorgeous like light at the end of its tail, which she took from looking at an image of a bug with water on it. And she 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 gets very creative. And so I'm always curious as to where each person gets their inspiration for their alien races. And, you know, where do they pull it? Do they pull it just it does it like you said a little while ago, does it come from your dreams and you just wake up in the morning and go, yeah, that guy or girl or thing needs to be in my story? Or is it something where you see a picture in a book and go, huh, I wonder if that would fit? So I'm just curious where you pull these creatures from. Uh, it's, it's actually a little bit of both. I mean, I can definitely say that the character of Morogo, uh, I saw in a, an issue of, um, uh, Marvel Comics, The New Mutants years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I couldn't, I don't have that issue anymore. I couldn't tell you what, you know, what issue it was, but there was an alien creature in there that I saw and I just thought that would be a really interesting character to use. I'm not, I don't so much describe him as he appeared in the comic, but in my mind, that's, that's how he came about. Uh, the character of Poto, who is a Warwick, um, started out as a, well, a lot of people early on have said that he's too much like an Ewok, but, um, he, he's actually morphed now. I, I've discovered this little critter that lives in the, uh, 
off the coast of Australia called the Kuwaka. And it's pretty much, it's described as the happiest animal on earth. They have no predators and you can actually walk up and take a selfie with it and they actually like pose and smile. And so I actually see Poto being more like this little, this little critter. There's actually at one point where they make mention, well, it was going to be in the third book, make mention that, you know, he, he smiled for his bounty hunter license. And, you know, who does that? You know, you're supposed, to be a, you're supposed to be a badass and he's sitting there with this big grin on his face in his picture. So I, I definitely see him like that. Um, and I do draw a lot from nature, uh, you know, insects or other kinds of animals. I might morph them a little bit, but uh, a lot of them are just taken from actual earth creatures. That's interesting. I, I, I just, I've always been, I'm, I'm looking up Kuwaka and now I actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> that would be a really cool looking uh, kind of creature, you know, to be a, an interesting creature. Is there, uh, I guess I'm trying, where am I going with this here, Dome? Um, that, uh, is that is, how do you fit, you know, because you obviously have the body, but then how do you build on their personalities or their racist personalities? You know, is there, Anything you do for that to kind of draw out? There was like one of the last people we we did a science fiction story for added a very interesting way that the 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 creature spoke a dialect that was almost a ringing noise to the way they spoke. And is there any you know do you come up where do you come up with your ideas for where the personalities come from, or is it again just that you you've kind of lived with them for all this time? It's it's kind of just yeah just that I know them and I've developed them so much over the years one of the more challenging things for me was the fact that uh, Morogo who I mentioned earlier does not speak he can speak he is able to but there is a religious um, factor in his race that out among non-people of his race he's not allowed to speak to them so I've got this one character on on board this ship who's with all different races and he can't speak to them though he does bend the rules in Jesse's case um, and there are a couple scenes in the in the first book where they're seen having a conversation but you never know what is actually said and I always keep it cryptic but it's 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 a challenge to write a character and have him be compelling and not have him ever speak a word of dialogue. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to be able to, you know, cause I kind of like that idea of, you know, that, the the religion, you know, that it, it affects how your character, you know, interacts with other races and other species. I mean, you can see that in a lot of science fiction that's out there, including uh, Farscape, which is one I've always loved uh, that it does something similar. So, yeah, this is it's a really cool idea. And you know, some other characters would of course come from, you know, their physiology. Uh, I do have the the Felinian race which is like a big tiger hybrid kind of race and he uh they, well not he but any of them will tend to trill their Rs or they they'll roll their Rs, you know, almost like a purr. Right. So, and yeah, I try to take some of it from their actual physiology, and sometimes it's, it's a brain fart. It just comes to me. 
<laughs> Those are sometimes the best, though. Exactly. In putting the Starhawk series together, it requires a different series of muscles than a science fiction writer who's writing speculative fiction or who's writing uh, alternate uh, history or who's writing expanded universe. This is technically a place in which you are required to invent characters, explain the civilizations that they come from, the worlds those civilizations exist in, and those civilizations' history in order for the actions to make sense. That is a daunting task. And if you're in books three and four of this series, my question is, having gone through as much work as you have to put together what is, frankly, a really, really cool universe, and I like it a lot. Well, thank you. Um, how much farther is this one going to go? Uh, Series-wise? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, there's definitely... Um Definitely the third book coming out. I do have, for sure, the one Kayla Carson spinoff, possibly a second. And then there will be uh, one that's going to be called Starhawk Genesis, which is going to be about their first adventure together. Uh, it will also go like way back into their histories as children and what brought them up to that moment when they share that first adventure. And there are going to be different characters in the crew that would disappear later on. Uh, and then there's going to be one called Legacy, which will pick up 20 years after the third book and actually have to deal with Jesse's daughter picking up the mantle from, from her father. It's kind of rare uh, when you find an author who's willing to take on this kind of an experience. Um, and I think sometimes it takes that kind of manic intensity of 10 or 15 or 20 years of remembering the exact date when the thought came to you that this is a thing and then taking the time to lay all the pieces out on the table build them, change them, adjust them, bring in new characters, bring in new worlds, bring in new civilizations. I can't recommend this this highly enough because it does all that, and it's a lot of fun. And, Joseph, I can't thank you enough for coming by tonight and, and taking a few minutes to talk with us about it. Well, I thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed this. Uh, you haven't listened to the show before. You, you didn't get scared off early enough. But <laughs> anyhow, no, <I'm> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And as uh, book three becomes available, we would love to have you back to talk Agreed. about it. Yeah, I will. It will actually be the Kayla Carson novel will come out first. That is um, that's about halfway almost two-thirds done uh like i said because of the hiccup with dropping the the story for the third one and 
readapting that one will be sometime. But when I finish the Kayla Carson novel, I would love to talk to you about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their grooves can be found on lawrencemademecry.com. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from the Air Buritum All Factory Center, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Zombrarian. Thank you so much, ladies. From his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. I know.